All right, again, welcome. Glad you're able to be here. Uh, this is week 11, believe it or not, of Ephesians. We've been slowly walking through uh, this book and uh, not going to try to recap everything, but uh, Ephesus was a church. Uh, <laughs> my parents are back there. They waved, so uh, <laughs> uh, they're from Illinois. They, they're weird down there. <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the weirdo. I'm the one who responded to it, right? <laughs> hi, hi. <laughs> uh, Anyways, Ephesians uh, is a church in Ephesus, Asia Minor, and the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his church, to the Gentiles, uh, and uh, so any, any non-Jewish Christians. So those who are, who are believers, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about how this mystery has been revealed that now all peoples uh, can actually be saved, not, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but both, that Jesus and his blood tears down this hostility between the two and become one in Christ, um, and so that uh, we're just going to kind of pick up, pick up there uh, this week. So, I want to I want to think if you can maybe uh, think about a time where you were so excited about something, and and you didn't you didn't know how to you didn't have anyone either to share it with you didn't know how to communicate it you you didn't there's nobody else who is passionate about the thing that that you're passionate about. Um, it just kind of you know goes over their head, or they're just not interested. Uh, whatever, what, like whatever hobby you might have, or vehicles, or or games, or whatever. Um, I, I distinctly remember uh, this would have been back in 2010, which was way too long ago. Um, but uh, watching the Packers the la- the last time that uh, they won the, the Super Bowl back in 2010, uh, that I remember I was I'm, I'm a Packer fan, even though I grew up in Chicago. Um, the Packers were just the superior team, still obviously are. Although now the Vikings pretty much are, are Packers now. <laughs> it seems like everyone's going over to the Vikings now. But anyways, uh, I remember, though, watching this game, and I was a college pastor in Illinois, and I had, we probably, Angela and I probably had, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 college students in my house, and, uh, and I was losing my mind, right? It's the, it's the Super Bowl. The Packers are in it. I'm going nuts, and I remember one of the college students was like getting kind of upset with me. Like, you know, hey, Pastor Brian, you're getting a little too excited. It's just the game. And I just remember being like, oh, like, try, like trying to hold in uh, my excitement. And I, you just can't, right? I mean, I have to stand up. I have to celebrate every catch, every handoff, every everything, right? Um, and then they win. And I remember she just was like disgusted with me almost, the fact that I I was just so excited about this. And, and I will say this as a Packer fan, and I'm mean this, that when, when the Packers are not in the playoffs, I do root for the Vikings because I really want my friends to know what it's like. <laughs> I mean, I mean that. It's such a good feeling, you know? Um, I've experienced it multiple times, and it's awesome. Uh, so just, just well, I want to let you know that. So, um, but even, even, you know, when you have, we have little kids in the house and just trying to play games or whatever, and you, like, I, you, you, something's really funny, you know, and someone laughs, and it's like, oh, sh-, you know, and, you, and it's, so, it's hard. You just can't, you can't contain it. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul actually kind of does today. He, he just cannot contain himself and the joy that, he's, that he feels uh, over who Christ is and who the Father is and the love that they outpour on all people. And uh, so the title of this sermon is Completion of Joy. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21 uh, this morning. And I will be reading through from the NIV. Uh, unless stated otherwise, and then um, and I'll have all the scripture up on the screen, so feel free to follow along in, in your Bible, or your tablet, or phone, or whatever, uh, or just uh, uh, listen as I read aloud. So, Ephesians three, 
uh, 14 through 21. It starts off with this, for this reason. Uh, and so it, the Apostle Paul, I'm not, I'm not going to go back and recap all of these three chapters, but I do think it's important to look at what, we, what he touched on just in the beginning of this chapter, that he's specifically hitting on just these previous verses. This is 10 through 13. The Apostle Paul says this, his intent, this is God's intent from, from, from all past, from, from creation, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And, and we stopped there and it was just like, really, the, the church is how God is going to reveal himself? Like, not my church, not the church that I, I know about, the church that I read about. It's full of hypocrites and it's full of uh, dropouts and losers and failures, to quote um, uh, Switchfoot. And uh, right, and that's true. It's just, but, it, but that's how God is going to show his multifaceted wisdom to, to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, all spiritual places, according uh, to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, in Christ, and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. And so that's kind of the, the for this reason, going, going back, and I, and I quoted uh, Keller last week in this, about the church, that the church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital for broken sinners. Uh, that we're not trying to, to look a certain way and, and act a certain way and cut our hair a certain way or whatever it may be, that we just want uh, our hearts to be on display for people to see and, and, and be authentic and, and real with people and know that I'm, I'm broken. I've got struggles. I've got questions with my faith. I, I believe it, but man, I struggle with some things. That's okay. And I won't, it's okay to be broken and approach and with confidence and freedom that we have. So moving on in our passage, Ephesians chapter three, for this reason, I kneel before the father. And this, this verse kind of got me thinking about the question, why is it that we have adopted this language of, of kneeling or bowing our head when we, when we pray? Uh, right? If, if you grew up in church or whatever, you're like every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Why? Where does that, where does that come from? Why do we, why do we do that? I remember, um, in high school, maybe in junior, I think it was junior high, actually, I took a, a typing class. Do you Gen Zers, do you even have to take typing classes? Is that a thing? Yeah, you did. Yeah. All right. Anyways, I remember though, so I grew, again, you, you know me, I grew up very conservative school and, and, uh, that was part of our church and, and I remember uh, the teacher, I forget her name, but she would walk up and down the aisles as she was praying. And if you, if you were looking around, she would give us demerit. She'd write you up if you were looking. And it's like, but wait a second, you're praying, walking to see who's looking and then taking names while you're praying, but we can't look around. Like it just didn't make any sense, right? Uh, and so, but why is that? Why do we bow our head? Why do we, why do we kneel? Kind of the, the, the quintessential, you know, image, this person in nature, you know, kneeling down and, and, and praying. Well, um, what's interesting is I was studying that the normal uh, posture within the Jewish community was actually not to kneel. It was actually to pray standing, um, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, a parable about a Pharisee and a sinner who are praying in the synagogue, kind of this open area. And the Pharisee is, man, God, I thank you. I'm not like these other sinners. Like I'm, I'm so good. I'm so thankful. I'm not like, I'm not bad like these people. And then the, the sinner, this, this tax collector, he, he, he can't even look up. And so maybe there's a, maybe a posture of, of bowing, even though he's standing, but he's humbled. And he says, I can't, 
I, I, I can't even begin to comprehend. I, I bound my chest and I can't even lift up my eyes to heaven in humility of embracing who he is. And yet we are given a couple times in scripture this, this idea of kneeling or falling flat on our faces. Um, and it's only a handful of times. Uh, one is Ezra, uh, a prophet in the Old Testament, when he's confessing uh, Israel's sin. It says he bows Jesus when he's in the, the Garden of Gethsemane before that he's turned over to the Romans to be executed by crucifixion. It says that he fell on his face. We have Stephen, the first martyr of Christianity, who, who bows his head and kneels uh, before he is stoned to death. And now we have Paul. And that's, that's really it. And so what I can say is based on scripture, there's not really a, like some perfect little posture that you can do while you pray. I think there's, there's symbolic and earnestness of being on knees or bowing or, or laying flat. flat. The, the word worship uh, actually means to lay down. And so to, to, be, to prostrate ourselves, to, to humble ourselves, that, that there is some kind of, um, it's an outward response of an inward reality. That's what we talk about when we talk about baptism, that I'm getting dunked under the water. The water isn't doing anything. My posture and how I pray isn't doing anything, but it's just an outward display of this inward reality of a, of a humble and contrite spirit. There was, as I was uh, doing a little bit of uh, research this week, there was uh, one gentleman by the name of William, H- William Hendrickson. I've never heard of him, but he, he says this, and I quote, the slouching position of the body while one is supposed to be praying is an abomination to the Lord. It's like, whoa, what is that? Let's, let's reserve the abominations to what the Bible calls abominations. Slouching, to me, it's like, man, someone's just exhausted and they're slouching and they're just crying out even physically for help to God. To me, that's probably the most heard prayers, right? There's something about that, that bodily language. So it, how do we, how do we, what do we stand? How do we, how do we, is there a way? To, no, just pray, uh, just pray, just pray to God. But we see this posture of, of humility, of earnestness from the apostle Paul. And so what is it? that Paul is so earnestly praying about. He says this, for this reason, I bow and kneel. I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Just in context, all people who are in Christ. Uh, He's specifically talking about those who are in the father and given that are in Christ and through Christ and by Christ and he is in us and we are in him. That's who he's talking about, all those people, those who have gone before us and those who are present now. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, the apostle Paul just got done talking about this faith, that we have been saved by faith and that this faith is not of myself. This faith is a gift of God. And again, he's praying that the spirit would, would buttress our, our faith towards him, that it would be strengthened that in my inner being and my heart The next kind of phrase, we have this idea of being rooted and grounded in love. Again, what is he so earnestly praying about? He's talking about this. And I pray that you, believer, Christian, would be rooted and established in love. And now, again, did a quick little Google search and and I could easily get up here and give you some kind of motivational speech. Uh, Make you feel good about yourself on this verse of like, here, here are three steps that all of you need to take in order to feel more rooted and established and loved. Number one, spend more time with God. Don't you know that you, you spend time reading your Bible and you're praying every day, you're gonna grow. 
right? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna feel more rooted and established. That's all you have to do, man. You, you read and you pray and you're gonna be established. Step two, you love others the way you wanna be loved. And that, then, you'll, then you'll feel more loved. But, but finally, more importantly, um, I want you to, to be loved by others the way you wanna be loved, right? Now, we could do that, that's hogwash, right? That's not what this verse is about. This verse is saying you are rooted. <laughs> you are established in love, whether you feel it or not. And those days you wake up and you're just like, I, this doesn't, I don't know, man. I, I don't feel the love of God. I, I don't know where he's at. And I, I got to do something in order to, to feel loved or be loved by others and by God. No, the apostle Paul is saying you are continually being rooted. You are grounded. You are established in love. And it and it may, you know, you can maybe an illustration of a tree, you know, a tree established by living water and, and, and that it's these strong roots. And that may come to mind when you think about this, of being rooted and established or rooted and, and grounded in love. And, that, and that's just a fact. But when I, what came to mind for me, though, um, is like video games and uh, like Dungeons and Dragons and, and board games where you, you cast a spell on someone to be rooted. Right, that, that you have this, that, that when, you, when you do that in a game, it's actually kind of funny because someone in the back was just talking about their new character in D&D they were making. I, I just got into D&D recently and it's really because of uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things made me want to go, hmm, I might check it out. Uh, and it's kind of fun. It's very nerdy, but it is a lot of fun. Um, but I think about this, that, that when somebody is rooted in a, in a game or whatever, it means they, like, actual tree roots go up and grab them by their feet and they can't move whether they want to or not. And that's what the Apostle Paul, he's not thinking video games or Dungeons and Dragons, but he's saying, you are held tight. You are rooted in the love of Christ continually, always, and you are established. So Paul says, I pray that you, you are rooted and you are established in love. So what then is the prayer? I pray that you may have power. So listen, listen here to what Paul is praying for. And I pray that you, those of you who are rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Here's what I want you to do, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's praying that we would have the power to grasp and begin to comprehend how great the love of Christ is. That's what he's saying. You, Hey, those of you you're a believer, you're in, you're in Christ, you are established in his love. And my prayer that I am earnestly praying for you, church, and the followers of Jesus is that you would just begin to get a glimpse of how much you actually are loved. In Psalm, um, well, let's look at this then. How great is this love of Christ? And we could obviously spend all day looking at how great the love of Christ is for us. But in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul uses similar language. But now it's not just, uh, this is how big and the, the breadth of God's love is for us. But now it's specific. Now, excuse me, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He just gets done talking about persecution and suffering. He says, no, we're more than conquerors than him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Right? I love that. In case I miss something, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Psalm 139.7, again, talking about the love of God. I don't have a slide for this, but it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, on, the way, on the way to church, I, I normally pick up uh, Paul, one of our elders, on the way here, uh, on the way to church, just to get, get things set up. And I, and I listen to this, this radio station, 1030 a.m., uh, and, and it's just old Old time religion, you know, it's like the the music I I grew up listening to. And this morning, uh, as I was, you know, thinking and kind of chewing on some of these verses, I was driving in before I pick up Paul. Because once I pick up Paul, we just talk about whatever, um, and I can't think anymore. Um, But as before I pick him up, I'm chewing and I'm singing. And on the radio came this song that's reflecting on this this psalm: "Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths." You are there. Even darkness is not darkness to you. In John chapter 15, Jesus specifically tells us what kind of love he has for us. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Again, what is his command? Love each other as I have loved you. There's no greater love. And Jesus, he is expressing, there's no greater love than someone who lays down their life and he's saying, I'm about to do that. I'm going to physically and emotionally and spiritually demonstrate my love for you on the cross. So again, Paul is saying, you are established in that. You are rooted in that. You are grounded in that. I want you to begin to comprehend how awesome of a love this is that Christ has for you. But then he uses this language of, I want you to know what you cannot know. <laughs> he says this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, Paul and I teach a systematic theology class on Thursday nights uh, for our Leadership Development Institute and um, and, and this is one of those verses that we, we start off the semester every year. We, in our syllabus, this is the verse, right? Uh, that we're going to study systematic theology, where we're going to get into these doctrines, and we're going we're gonna to dig into this. But I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that there is something about our God that I cannot fully understand. And that's a good thing. His love for me is so big, I can't even begin to comprehend it. So I want you to know what you cannot know. This is very similar uh, to Job's reply. Uh, Job is a very old book. We went through it um, in uh, the summer of 2020 and uh, walked through, through Job. But Job, um, the whole book really is, is yelling at God. Uh, God allows Satan to, to do some horrific things to his family and to all of his livelihood. And, and, and Job says, and he's screaming, I want my day in court. I want to approach God and I want to tell him how I really feel. I want to give him a piece of my mind. And then God shows up in Job 38 and he's like, excuse me, (laughs) who do you think you are? Where were you? And he just for three chapters gives all these sarcastic remarks back to Job of where were you when the foundations of the world were were laying? Tell, Tell me if you understand. Tell me if you know. And Job's response then, humbly, in Job chapter 42, says this, then Job replied to the Lord, because God says, I, I want an answer. 
I want you to respond to me. And Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be stopped. You asked me, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Right? Who, who is this? Who is this man that is asking me questions about my knowledge and my plans and has no idea what he's talking about? And Job's response is this, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Uh, in the King James, every once in a while, I like to look at the King James. It just, it just says this. This is a, a kind of a, 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 I don't know, a, fa- a fancy way of, of reading this. But he says this, Then Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel and without knowledge? And then Job's language there, Therefore I have uttered that I understand not. <laughs> Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. I uttered what I understood not. I I can't even begin to comprehend this. And it's the same language here that the apostle Paul is using. So again, reading this uh, full verse here, and I pray that you continually being rooted and established in love, those of you may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you grasp the fullness of God. I pray that you can understand that which cannot be understood. I pray that you, whom are immeasurably loved, see, hear, and know how much you are loved. The Apostle Paul then gives us a glimpse of how we should pray. Again, our posture doesn't necessarily matter, but maybe a position of humility, earnestness in this case. But how should we pray? What, how, how should we ask for things? And the Apostle Paul says this, kind of in this benediction type language. He says, now to him, to God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, all we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us that he is so big and he loves you so much that you can't even begin to comprehend it. And yet my prayer for you is that you would begin to, to realize and see how much you are loved. And now I want you when, you, when you pray, when you ask, you approach him as a God who's able to do more than I can ask, than I can speak, or I can even think about. I've been around long enough and and have had prayers that have been answered or not answered, but there have been times in my life where God has shown up and answered a prayer that I didn't even think to ask about. Um, It just shows up in a big way. And, and And then I sit back and I go, hmm, I probably should have prayed about that, right? You, you answered a prayer. I didn't even pray. That's how God works sometimes. And to illustrate that, this might be kind of, kind of silly, but um, this is uh, the, the tall, bald guy there. His name is Eddie Washidas. I'll get back to him. But the guy in the middle, uh, his name is Nate Oates. He um, is actually the, the head coach for Alabama uh, basketball team. They got a limit. I always cheer for him. Uh, he was an assistant coach at Maranatha Baptist Bible College, uh, where, I, where I went. I only played one semester. I got one point in my college career, just so you know. Uh, almost made it to D1 Final, final Four, but not quite. Um, and, uh, but anyways, Nate though, he was for, this was a picture when he was a uh, coach for the, uh, the Buffalo Bison, you know, and they, they made it pretty far a couple years ago, but then Alabama was like, we're going to pay you a lot more money. Come over here. And so he did. But anyways, Eddie is his brother-in-law 
Eddie and I, we went to uh, high school together. He was four years older than me. So I was a freshman when he was a senior and he was like six, seven, six, eight, tall, tall guy, big guy. And um, which at a small Christian school, he was like the most dominant center, you know, ever. And now he was like, yeah, he'd be like a point guard, you know, uh, but that's just how it was. But Eddie, though, he was a bully. Right. And and I remember, though, one day I was in English class and we had to use a pencil to take the test. And I didn't have a pencil. And so I'm asking, hey, I, I need a pencil. Can I borrow a pencil? And my teacher was like, no, sir, you need to provide your own pencil. And I was like, I don't have one. Like, what do you want me to do? She's like, well, go to your locker and go get one. And I was like, okay. So I go running out there full well knowing I, I don't have a pencil. Like, I know there's no pencil in my, my locker. And if there was, I was the guy, my locker was just a mess. You know, just books and papers just falling out of it. So I was like, I'm not going to find a pencil. And I'm standing there sweating. I'm going to fail this test uh, because I don't have a pencil. And, and out comes Eddie Washitas for who knows why. And he just goes, hey, Silver. And he beams me in the chest with a pencil. And I'm like, Eddie, <laughs> okay, thank you, <laughs> right? And I grab my pencil and I go back and I take my test. I actually was, uh, I messaged him on Facebook last night and I was like, is it okay if I share that? And he goes, yeah, I was, I was quote, I was a little piece, of, I was a little bit of a piece of work back then. Uh, so he, he's uh, no longer a bully. He's a really nice guy, actually. Um, and, uh, but I remember that. And like in a, in a silly way, like God, in a way, answered my prayer without me even thinking to ask for it, right? But you can imagine if I would have been like walking to my locker and been like, oh, Jesus, please provide a pencil. And then all of a sudden, bink, like literally hitting the head with a pencil. But instead, it was like, I didn't even think to ask that. I know it might be silly, but man, there's so many times that that just happens. And, he, and I can't begin to teach you, here's how you ought to pray for big things. And yet, yet he does more than what we ask, what we think. We can't even begin to comprehend how much he loves us and how he's working in our hearts, in our lives. And to be aware of that. One of my favorite prayers, a couple years ago, we went through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a, is a prophet, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, and Israel is in ruins, and it's breaking his heart as a prophet for God's people. And so he goes to Artaxerxes, big, powerful king of Persia. He's his cupbearer. And he goes to him and he says this, and this is how the book's there, Nehemiah chapter two, in the month of Nisan, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Jerusalem and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it that you want? I love this. And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my answers are buried so it can be, so uh, that I can rebuild it. The king says, what is it that you want? And it says, and I prayed to the God of heaven. In this split second before he gives his answer, I'm sure the prayer went something like this. Oh God, uh, here's what I want if it please the king, right? And there's so many times in our day where that's, that's all we can say. Just help me right now. I, I need this. And he does so much more than we can ask or think. I love that verse. I prayed to God and then I just gave an answer to the king. So let's look at this completion of praise. Paul can't help himself. <laughs> He's praying and he's talking about how great God is and how much our love is in Christ. 
and this powerful love. And while he's telling us about it, he just can't help but turn it back into praise, right? He's, he's watching the Packers win the Super Bowl and someone's like, can you tone it down a little bit? He can't help it. He just has to. I, ha- I have to praise to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflection on the Psalms, uh, author of, of the Chronicle, Chronic what? Calls of Narnia. Um, he says this. Thank you. Sorry, it's a deep cut. He says this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is appointed consummation. In it, not out of compliment, that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are, the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. Probably only men wrote back then to come suddenly at the, the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. <laughs> to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. I know I've mentioned this before, but it's one of those things when I think about God, when he says, I'm going to create you in my image and my image bearers, I'm going to command you to reflect that glory back to me. So I'm going to create you to worship me. The only thing that's going to fulfill you is me. And I remember just like, that sounds a little egotistical. That sounds a little uh, narcissistic there, God. So you made me to worship you? What's all that about? But God in his divine sovereign knowledge says, I'm going to create my image bearers and I only want them to be fulfilled and in full of joy by the thing that is the most enjoyable thing in the universe. And that's me. I don't want you to find enjoyment fully in something else that's just going to rot and decay. I need it. You need it to be me. So he commands us and he invites us to enjoy him, not just glorify him. And the apostle Paul just can't help himself. It's that way when we, when we come across, like, like his illustration of we think about, about marriage and we think about children and those people, you know, individuals who, uh, who maybe don't want kids, don't have kids, or even are unable to have kids, whatever it may be, of just saying, this is, I want to share this with you. This is so great. But I found this, this new game. I found this new thing and I just, I have to share it. And that's the same way with God and with Christ. But this, he loves me so much. I, I, can't, I can't help myself. I have to tell somebody about this. I have to reflect back the glory that is due his name. So in gospel application, I have several. I have several this morning just to kind of recap where we've been. And, and there's, there was a lot going on this morning, but I just want to recap it this way for application. Do you know you are rooted in love? Like, do, you, do you really know 
that you are rooted in love. That Jesus died for your sins so that you can be forgiven, so that we can have a relationship. We can be called brothers and, excuse me, and sisters of Christ himself. That's truth. That's fact. You are, you are rooted. You are loved. Secondly, do you know how great the love of Christ is? Can we begin to comprehend that? Do you know that you can't know? That's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that I can't figure God out. Paul and I have been teaching this systematic theology class and we've been reading the same systematic theology book now. I think I've been doing it seven or eight years. And I, and I read this book and I teach these classes and every single week I learn something new. It's like, I just, I just taught this last year. How, how, something new pops up all the time and it's so exciting. Do you realize you can't understand and yet you can? <laughs> he loves you so much that you can't even comprehend it. So go crazy with your request to God because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. And then finally, praise him. It just turns into praise. It turns into a natural reflection that now I get to because of this love of Christ that I am established and I now get to reflect that back to him. I don't do this too often, but um, the first hymn that we sang this morning um, is, is called uh, Be Still My Soul and Patient Wait. And this is a direct, a lot of direct correlations and quotes from what we just read from Ephesians chapter three. The, the hymn was written by a gentleman by the name of William Carpenter in the 1700s, but he says this, and we just sang this. He says, before thy throne, O God, we bow and kneel out of humility, out of earnestness. Give us a conscience that we're quick to feel and give us a ready mind to understand the fullest measure of thy tender hand. Help us comprehend. I now know that I cannot know, but help me understand. Be still, my soul, and patient wait. Our Savior stands with power great. From sin and death to be set free, bring us, O Jesus, bring us nearer thee. Every week at Hope Lower Town, we have communion. And these are just elements that we partake every week. This wafer that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice that represents his blood that was poured out for me. As a blood offering, a sacrificial lamb that Jesus loves me so much that he died for me. That There's no greater love than a friend who lays down their life for another. And that's what Jesus did for us. And I think that as we look at that idea of a completion of praise, it is a natural response that as we partake of these elements to just worship him because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship. And it brings us joy. It's not out of, out of duty and obligation. Oh God, you commanded me to praise you. So I guess I'm going to do that. I, I, I get to. It's a natural outpouring. It's an outward response of that inward heart reality. All I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love to partake of this meal with you this morning. To partake of these elements. Nothing magical about them. There's nothing uh, that's going to change your life. And again, it's this outward display. I'm going to viscerally taste 
and, and eat and drink and remember what it is that Christ did. And I'm going to complete that praise, that natural step of worshiping Christ this morning for how much he loves me and that I am rooted in that love. Let me pray. And then the worship team is gonna sing uh, two songs and feel free to grab these elements as you see fit. Uh, feel free to spend some time in prayer, reflecting, worshiping. Uh, you can feel free to stand and then sing whenever you want to. Um, but again, all I'd ask that you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe today is your first time, maybe it's the first time hearing about that love of Christ. And I'd love to partake of these elements with you. Let me pray. And then we will continue uh, with our worship this morning through communion and song. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son. I thank you that just there's nothing that we can do to contain ourselves with how much we love you. You are so good and we're, we can't even begin to comprehend how much you love us, that your son took on human flesh, that we were made in your image and Jesus became the perfect image of the father and lived a life I cannot live. And he died to pay for my sins that I cannot pay for. And so it is just a natural completion of praise that I partake of these elements and remember that finished work of Christ on the cross, that we are in him and all things are through him and that your spirit now works in us to, in our innermost being to strengthen our faith. And so God, there might be some in here this morning that say, I believe, but God help my unbelief. I believe this, but I'm, I'm struggling. I don't see you. I don't feel you, that they would know that they are rooted and grounded in your love that is in them through your son. And I pray that we would feel that this morning, that we would know that and be awakened to what it is that Christ has already done for us, finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so now, as we looked at last week from the apostle Paul, we can now approach you, the creator, ineffable love, as we sang about, magnificent in glory, that we can approach you with confidence and freedom. May that be our hearts this morning. God, we praise you. We thank you. And it's in your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.